Good to be with you again on this uh, Friday. It seems strange to be preaching on a, on a Sunday the last two weeks. Um, good to be back. I'm in the zoo and with you all, worshiping um, our Lord. I bring you greetings from uh, Nashik Baptist Church in India, as well as Kolapur Bible Church in India and Balgam Bible Church. Those were the three churches that I was able to go minister to these last two weeks. And um, they send their greetings, the saints there, to, to New Life Church. Um, so today we are back in the letters of John. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to, to 3rd John. Um, we look forward to our time together this afternoon as we think back on what the Lord's done over the ministry of the 10 years that New Life Church has been ministering here as a body. And we hope that you can join us. We, um, it's still not too late if you want to sign up and make sure that you registered. Uh, please speak to Sandra, who was wearing that um, South African jersey in the front here. Um, so we look forward to that. So third John, just a little introduction before we go into this letter. It's the smallest of these letters that the Apostle John has written. And um, the second John that we saw already was listened to, written to a church... Uh, Third John is written to an individual by the name of Gaius. And the subject of this letter is the practical proof of a Christian's profession to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that already in um, First John as, as well as Second John already. Uh, but this letter was written to address some problems that were happening in, in the church um, with regard to hospitality. Uh, and um, John gives a command in this letter. There's only one command. And if you notice, that command is there in verse 11. He says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So there were some characters which we will look at who were uh, bad examples. They were causing problems in the, the church. And um, as we study this together, we will see this command, how um, applicable it is even to our um, situation and even to our own lives. So let us read the, the whole letter, uh, which only compromises of 15 verses. Today is just going to be an overview of this letter, and then uh, we're going to look at some portions together over the next month. But today I want to give you the full picture, the context um, as we read this morning. So 3 John chapter 1, there is only one chapter, <clears throat> verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly with when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. <laughs> Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, 
But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank the Lord that we can have your word with us um, openly, Lord, without having to hide it away from people who would persecute us. We thank the Lord that we have your spirit who can teach us your word. Thank the Lord that you have promised that he would be our teacher. And we pray today as we open your word and study that you would help us to understand. We pray that, Lord, this wouldn't just be an exercise in, in gaining knowledge, but, Father, that we would allow the words to penetrate our hearts this morning and that we would make the necessary changes that you want us to. So we pray this morning, Lord, please let your spirit convict us. May we be willing to be taught. May we be teachable and let the spirit change us and conform us more and more into the image of your, your dear son. So may you receive the glory here this morning, Lord, that, that you deserve. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So one author said, everybody follows somebody, don't they? You choose whether you're going to follow those who do good or those who do evil. Thanks, boy. Um, President Calvin Coolidge, American president, once invited friends from his hometown to have dinner with him at the White House. And unsure of their table manners, the, the guests decided to imitate the, the president. They watched closely to see which utensils he was going to use and what foods he, he ate and when he was going to eat. And their strategy seemed to succeed until coffee was served. So Coolidge poured some coffee into his saucer and of course they did the same. He then added some sugar and cream, and his guests did the same. Then the president bent over and put his saucer on the floor for the cat. And everybody did the same. <laughs> so we need to be careful of whose example that we follow. As mentioned already, the only command in this passage is in verse 11. And the command is, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So the key word in this letter is the word imitate. It's the word follow, translated in the King James. And this is the, the Greek word um, mimiome, which is where we get our English word mimic from. And the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is saying, do not become a mimic of what is evil. Don't imitate models that are 
that are bad, that are wrong, that are evil. Instead, follow models who are good. And John is applying again the, the moral test, which is already given us in 1 John as well as, as 2 John. Um, he's telling us this moral test is, is to, to know whether we are, are wanting to do what pleases the Lord. Remember in 1 John chapter 1, verse, verse 6, he said, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, if we say we have fellowship with God, and we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not know the truth. So we know already that, that liars profess Christ, but they do not possess Christ. Two different words. And we want to follow people who possess Christ. We want to model our lives around people who, who love the Lord Jesus Christ and, and love his gospel. And who and what we follow has eternal consequences. Who and what we follow matters to the, the glory of, of God. So there are many practical lessons that we can learn from this letter, especially about Christian hospitality. And maybe we'll look at that um, next time. But there is a main theme here that we can easily overlook if we're not careful. And that theme is the gospel ministry. It's united together for the sake of the gospel. And here in this letter, we're introduced to, to three characters who were not united three characters in this church <coughs> and we see <coughs> excuse me each of them had influence each of them had influence some a negative influence and some a positive influence and the apostle john reminds us in his first letter that true believers are bound in fellowship through the blood of jesus christ so believers have fellowship because of Jesus Christ. We are united together, not because of the, the rugby teams we support, the, the soccer teams we support, or the cricket teams we support. We are united together because of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters should be joined together because of what Jesus has done. That should be our, our, our unifying factor. Um, but this church, unfortunately, was not like that. There was one person in particular who was opposing the work of the gospel. He was doing everything he can to promote himself and to really expel the gospel. And we'll look at him in a, in a moment. So firstly, the, the first character that we're introduced to in verse 1 is, the, is Gaius. His name is Gaius. In second, the second person that we're introduced to is Diotrephes, um, who's the, the negative character. And then the third third character is Demetrius, um, who was unified with Gaius in the gospel um, ministry. So I want us to briefly look at these three characters and learn what the scriptures teach us, what is worthy of mimicking, and of course, what we should not be mimicking at the same time. So my first point this morning is simply beloved Gaius. Beloved Gaius, that is how he's referred to in verse 1. He is a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. We see in verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So John doesn't just say, whom I love. He doesn't just say, I love you. But notice here, he says, I love you in truth. 
So the apostle John here is expressing his love to Gaius, but he's, he's noting that the bond, the bond, the deep bond that they share is because of the, the truth. The bond that they share is because of the gospel. The bond that they share is because of Jesus Christ. This binds them together, however different they may be, however different their backgrounds may be, their, their cultures may be, it is the, the gospel that is binding them together in the truth. I'm sure you've met people like that. Just recently, I was reminded of that again. I met people in India in these churches that, that I've never met before, that I, that I felt bonded to, not because they spoke the same language as me, not because they, they, they were looking like me, but because we were brothers and sisters in Christ. We were bounded together because of Jesus Christ. And John uses the word beloved here. He uses it three times in, in 14 verses. He uses it once in verse 2. He uses it again in verse 5. And he uses it again in, in verse 11. And they're all addressed to Gaius, beloved Gaius. And John called him beloved because of the fellowship that he enjoyed with this saint. Um, the bond that they shared because of Jesus Christ. The fellowship that they enjoyed speaking and building upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see in verse 2, John's desire, his personal wish for Gaius. He wishes for Gaius' good health. He wishes for, for, for Gaius' success. And John is obviously very fond of this man. I um, mean, verse 3 and verse 4, we see John's reaction to, to Gaius' belief and love for the gospel. And John reminds us here of, of the joy, the Christian joy that we ought to have when we see fellow Christians walking in truth and love. We see in verse 3 and 4, For I have rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Gaius was one of these members who was walking in the truth, and it filled the apostle's heart with much joy, with much joy. So let me give you some background here. Remember, similar situation as in 2 John. There were these traveling missionaries, these traveling evangelists, these preachers that had come to um, Gaius. They had come to his home. And Gaius had opened up his home. He had extended hospitality to these traveling preachers, these people who had proclaimed the gospel. These weren't the false teachers that we heard about in 2 um, John. These were faithful preachers. And Gaius was a person who was walking in the truth. He knew the truth. He was discerning. He knew um, that he could welcome these preachers in because they were faithful with the gospel. So John is, is happy about this. He's, he's glad. He's joyful about this. Um, but there was a problem. There was a problem. Um, this wasn't something that one particular leader in the church was happy about. And his name was Diotrephes. Um, he literally, it tells us in the passage, he tried to prevent this ministry of hospitality that Gaius was extending to these traveling preachers. 
But in spite of this opposition that he had from Diotrephes, Gaius had treated these missionaries with love. Despite the opposition, despite the, um, the pressure that he was facing from this church leader, he knew what to do and he followed what was true and he did it anyway. And John is commending Gaius for his courage. He's commending Gaius for doing what was right and for showing Christian hospitality, Christian love. And he commends him for this truth. In verse 3, he says, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, testified to your commitment to the truth. So already he had a testimony, a good testimony. He was showing hospitality to the faithful preachers. He was encouraging their ministry. He was encouraging their work. And John says, the people you show hospitality to, they were also faithful to the truth. And they're commending you. And they're talking about you. And they knew that you were faithful to the truth as well. Um, and he says, you didn't just buck down. You didn't just bow down to the, to the bullies who didn't want you to do that. You did what was true despite the narrowness of Diotrephes, despite his, his wicked agenda, despite his wicked agenda. John says, I was very glad when brethren came and testified to the truth that is in you. That is how you are walking in the truth. You're not, you, it's not just a matter of doctrine, folks. It's not a matter of just having this academic knowledge. And we see this here practically displayed in Gaius's life. He knew what was true. And now he was doing what was true. This was displayed in his, in his life. Then in verse 4, John adds this, this general comment. He says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in truth. And again, this word is coming up. Truth is a key theme in all of these letters. And the Greek word for, for truth is aletheia, which is mentioned five times in this, in this third letter. It's mentioned 12 times in the, the first letter, and in the second letter, it's mentioned another three times. So the apostle says in verse 4, I was very glad to find some of my children walking in the truth. So now it's not, it's not just listening to the truth. Now they are walking. Now there's an action involved. Now they are doing something. They're not just sitting on their chairs, keeping the seats warm. They are doing something with the truth that they have, have learned. And it really all starts here, isn't it? I mean, this is what you, you want to hear when, when you get to heaven at the, the end of the day, isn't it? This is what you want to hear when, when you stand before the Lord. You want to hear, I hope you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord's not going to say, well done, good and faithful learner. He's not going to say, well done, good and faithful student. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've taken what you've heard. You've taken the knowledge, the truth, and you have used it to serve. You have used it to be a blessing to serve others. Faithful servant. Faithful to what? Well, of course, we need to be faithful to the to the gospel. First and foremost, we need to be faithful to, to the truth. We need to be faithful to what the, the Lord has told us to do. 
And Gaius is being commended here because of his loyalty to the, the truth. He not only knows the truth up here, but he's living it. He's walking it. And this is a, a picture of our, our daily conduct. He understands doctrine, he believes it, but now he's walking in it. And there's no contradiction here between Gaius's walk and his talk. They are the same thing. There's no contradiction. And this is a, a wonderful commendation, isn't it? I mean, a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another thing, isn't it? I mean, for me, that is the worst accusation that could ever be made against me. I mean, that's the last thing I would ever want to hear my children say about their father. I mean, he was a hypocrite. He said one thing on a Friday, but he, he did something else the, the rest of the week. I mean, what a terrible thing to hear. But Gaius was not like that. There was no contradiction between what he was speaking and what he was doing. There's wonderful integrity here. And he's been commended for this by the apostle, by the apostle himself. And the apostle's joy is, is not teaching the truth. Notice that. His, his greatest joy in ministry is not just knowing people understand the truth. His greatest joy in ministry is to see his people walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. Whether you're talking about your own children or, or spiritual children, anybody will understand that there's no greater joy than to know that your own children or your spiritual children are believing the truth and are, are walking in the truth. Now, it's a joy for me when, when members of New Life Church make it a priority to join another evangelical Bible preaching church when they leave Abu Dhabi. It's a joy to know that they are going to be involved in a, in a Bible preaching church. They're going to serve where, where the truth is is heard where the truth is preached. They want that. They desire that. For me, that's a joy because that means they've learned something here and they want to practically continue with that in the country that, they, that they're going to. Of course, the opposite is, is terribly sad. I mean, there have been some people, when they leave here, they go and join a prosperity preaching church back home. I mean, that's, that's sad for me because they haven't understood the truth. They haven't understood the gospel that has been preached from this pulpit. That is sad. But this is not the case with Gaius. The Apostle John was, he was joyful. He was excited to see this young man walking in the truth. Look at verse 5 and 8 here. We see John's expression of appreciation for, for Gaius' hospitality and his call for Gaius to continue in this hospitality. And he reminds us here of this Christian appreciation for, for hospitality, how important it is um, for the ministry of the gospel. For the ministry of the gospel. Gaius, we're told in verse 5 and 6, has shown hospitality to the brethren. It says in verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, even though they are strangers, strangers as they are. He has never met them before. But it's a good thing what he is doing. His efforts are good, he says. And the church itself was witness to Gaius' hospitality. 
He would open up his home. He would open up his life to those who faithfully preached and taught the truth of the gospel. Gaius may may not have been a gifted preacher. I don't think he, he preached at all. I don't think he taught any Sunday school classes. But the gift he was given, he used for the glory of God. He acted faithfully in serving others. He acted faithfully, whatever he could do for the sake of the gospel, so that the gospel could be proclaimed. Remember, there weren't hotels, there weren't these these fancy places that we have nowadays where, where you can stay when you're traveling. So people had to open their homes. There were inns, but they were few and far between. And um, Gaius opened up his home. Verse, look at verse, verse 7 there. It tells us, For they have gone out for the sake of the name. This is the reason why Gaius made his Open up his home, why he made his family vulnerable to strangers. Think about this for a while. You don't know these people, you've heard about them, and you're opening up your home to complete strangers. But he's doing it for the sake of the name, for the sake of the gospel. Later on this year, we plan to have a missions conference here at New Life Church. And we're going to be inviting our missionaries that we support. And you'll have an opportunity to open up your home to let these people stay with you. I mean, it's a wonderful blessing. And we see from the scriptures here, it's not just a blessing to the missionaries, it's a blessing to the people who are, who are serving, who are showing this, this hospitality. And Gaius was intentional, very intentional for the sake of the gospel. Even his home was not for his own pleasure. He didn't build up luxuries for himself. He made sure that there was space for these traveling missionaries. For the sake of the name, it says. For the sake of the name. For the glory of God. To the honor of God. You know, you think about the American dream that... People talk about that you read about. And Franklin Roosevelt, he had, he had this to say about the American dream. He said, Americans are willing to take great risks if they believe it will accomplish great rewards. And I think that's true, not just of Americans. I mean, we're willing to travel to the other side of the world to live in the Middle East so that we can earn a decent salary, so that we can have a comfortable life. Isn't it? I mean, it's a great risk. Our, 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 our families would tell us. But it's all for the sake of the, the American dream, so that we can have two cars, so that we can have a nice house, so that we can have a picket fence and we can have a dog. For the sake of the American dream, isn't it? But what about the gospel dream, folks? What about the gospel dream? Think about that for a moment. I mean, do we understand it, that we are stewards of what God has given to us. We don't own these things. We are stewards. And one day we will give an account for how we have used these blessings for the glory of God, just like Gaius did. God had blessed him, but he didn't use it for his own purposes. He, did, he, he used it for the glory of God, for the sake of the, the name. For the sake of the name. David Platt 
He wrote a book called Radical. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Small, easy read. Find it, read it. And he talks about this American dream and he talks about the the gospel dream and, and perhaps we as Christians have got our priorities wrong. But he says in the book, we need to connect the blessings of God with the purpose of God. We need to connect the blessings of God with the purpose of God. Now, sure, God will bless us, not so that we can just, just absorb it according to our own lusts. God will bless us so that we can be a blessing to the nations. Isn't that what he said to Abraham? That's what he says to us, folks. God will give us stuff, not so what, that we can build up our own empires and, and build castles on the sand, so that we can use it for the glory of God. So that we can use it for the, the glory of God. Just like Gaius was doing. And we'll talk more about that next week. But let me move on to the second character. We see devilish diatrophies. Devilish diatrophies in verse 9 to 11. Here we're introduced to diatrophies. We don't know much about him. Just these, just these few verses, they talk about him, and we don't hear anything else. But we know that he is a professing Christian. Um, he's probably been baptized. He's probably a leader of this, of, of, of this church. Um, he, he's, he's certainly a part of this local congregation. But the Apostle John does not speak well of him. John's contrast of verse 11 with the example of Diotrephes in verse 9 and 10 is, is simply John's judgment that despite Diotrephes' claim to be spiritual, the apostle does not see the marks of a Christian in him. He doesn't see him acting like Christ at all. And John says, I'm going to deal with him. I'm going to come face to face to the church and, and speak more about that. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when that happened. I mean, that happened, folks. We don't know about it. It hasn't been recorded for us. But that meeting happened. John approached Diotrephes. That must have been a very interesting conversation. But he writes about him. And he says, Diotrephes is opposing the work of the gospel. He's opposing the work of the gospel. And John says, look, I don't care what Diotrephes is saying, what his reasons are for, for doing and saying what, what he's doing. And he, may have a, he may have some exalted reason. He may have some powerful rhetoric that he's speaking, that he's um, using to justify his actions. But I want to tell you this. This is what John's saying. I want to tell you this. He's doing this because he loves preeminence. Underline that word there. The preeminence. He loved the preeminence. He loved to be first. That's what it says. That's how it's translated. You see the phrase that he uses to describe Diotrephes. He likes to put himself first. Imagine that on your tombstone. Imagine those words on your tombstone one day. He loved to put himself first. She loved 
to put herself first. I mean, this has nothing to do with his concern for, for the church at all. It has everything to do with him being selfish, with him wanting the glory. One commentator wrote, the sin of Diotrephes is, I don't want to be on the team, I've got to be the face of the team. I don't want to just humbly serve, I want to be famous. I want them to talk about me, not Jesus. Notice there in verse 9, it says, who likes. Diotrephes, who likes. This is the present tense. This is the present tense. The, the King James says, he loveth to have the preeminence. A little stronger word there. He loveth. It's the same meaning. This is a pattern. This is continually happening. This is not just something he did by mistake in the past. This is something that is a pattern in his, in his life. It's a pattern in his, in his life. He loved the preeminence. He, what he's guilty of here is spiritual pride. He's, he's worked his way up as a, as a leader of the church, but he's not humble at all. He's not selfless at all. He's not loving at all. He's not compassionate. He doesn't have the mind of Christ at all. And the word preeminence is used only twice in the whole Bible. It's used once here in 3 John, and it's used again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. The King James Version says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The only person who deserves the preeminence is is Jesus Christ because he is the one who rose again from the dead. Notice the comparison here, folks. Here's a, here's a man in a church who wants the preeminence, who thinks he deserves it more than Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a wicked man. This is a wicked man. This is a, this is a wicked sin, folks. Spiritual pride. Jesus, the one who was incarnated, who became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could suffer for the sins of the world, who died a death that he didn't deserve so that he could rise again from the dead. He's the one who deserves the preeminence. He's the one who deserves all the, the glory. And yet Diotrephes claims to be a Christian, who ought to bear the marks of the character of his Savior that he professes, he wants to be first. He wants the preeminence. And he has rejected God's example. He's rejected the very example of Jesus Christ, who came to serve and not to be served. And instead, he's trying to establish himself as the authority because he's rejected the authority of the apostles. And John says in verse 9, Diotrephes does not acknowledge our authority. Another way to translate that 
would be, Diotrephes wants nothing to do with us. He wants nothing to do with the word of God, with God himself. Now let's draw some application there for a moment. You know, these kind of people who are proud and, and self-righteous, we all know a few, don't we? And these kind of people who love the, the glory, they love the limelight. They want the preeminence. They want to be in control. And they will do whatever it takes to get it. Can you imagine someone rejecting John's authority? I mean, the apostle John we're talking about here. Saying, okay, John's written to you to do this, but we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it another way. I know some a better way. But you know, people did that to the apostle Paul as well. And you know what? People did that to Jesus as well. And you know, people still do it today. We have the word of God and his revealed will for us and people say, no, I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. I mean, the church has built upon the apostles, the apostles' doctrine right here, folks. But people will say, no, we'll do it our way. We don't need to do it like that. We're we cleverer. I mean, we, we are more advanced. We're more sophisticated. We'll do it our way. And we all know what happens. We all know the problems that come with that. And John goes on, if you look at verse 10, he says, Diotrephes is gossiping. He's gossiping. He's talking these unjust accusations against us against our spiritual authority. He's accusing us with wicked words, with wicked nonsense, he talks, the words he uses. And John says in verse 10, he is spreading malicious gossip about me. He's trying to undermine my authority by assaulting my character. I mean, we all know people like that as well, isn't it? And I was thinking about that this week. You know, we're celebrating 10 years as a church, and we thank God for all he has done. And we really do have a church that is united in our diversity. And that's our theme, isn't it? But you know, the quickest way to destroy a church, to break their unity, is gossip. Is gossip. Trying to destroy people's character by talking behind their backs. You know, John MacArthur says in his commentary on 3 John, he tells us, the Bible warns us here about those people who are power hungry in the church. Arrogance is where it all starts. It all starts with arrogance. Arrogance produces ambition. Ambition produces accusations. And accusations lead to annihilation. You start out driven by pride and your pride produces the desire to be preeminent. And preeminent then leads you to falsely accuse everybody else so you can clear the field of all other Claimants. Diatrophies refused to receive faithful missionaries. And John says in verse 10, he refused to welcome the brothers. In other words, these missionary evangelists that came to the congregation looking for a little basic hospitality and support, he refused to have them. He didn't want them in his church. 
He didn't want them preaching the gospel. He didn't want anybody else to be accommodating them. He didn't want the message that they were preaching. But Gaius is commended because he received these missionaries, these preachers. He's commended because he shows hospitality to these faithful brothers. But not Diotrephes. He refused to have them. He refuses to receive them. Look at verse 10, it says, and also stops those who want to. So it wasn't just his own bad attitude. Now he wanted everybody else to have the same bad attitude. He didn't want anybody else to be involved in supporting and showing hospitality to these missionaries. I mean, what a selfish man. He wanted all the glory for himself. That's really the problem here. The glorious gospel that needed to be spread was being hindered by a man who was an enemy of the gospel. Was being hindered by this person who wanted all the glory. His pride was standing in the way of the spread of the gospel. What a terrible thing. What a terrible thing. These people are a threat to the very gospel, to the very mission that we have been given to make disciples, to spread the fame of the name of Jesus, not our name. And we need to be careful of this pride, this spiritual pride. Who is the one that deserves all the glory? Who is the one who deserves to be lifted up on high? Not us, folks. It is Jesus Christ. We must be willing to help spread the fame of our Savior's name, not our own. We're not here to, to talk about how, how great Brian Cousins is and how great his preaching is or how great anybody's preaching is. We're here to lift the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for the church, the one who shed his blood for the church, the one who gave his life as a propitiation for us. He's the one who deserves the glory. But even worse, we see Diotrephes has, has excommunicated some of these people from the congregation because of their hospitality. And John is saying, look at his lack of love, folks. Look at his immoral behavior. Look how he's rejected the, the apostolic authority. Look at how he's gossiping and breaking down our very character. Look at his behavior. We've been saying this over and over again, isn't it? Belief affects our behavior. Here we have an example of someone whose behavior clearly contradicted what they professed. Diotrephes can say all the exalted things that he wants to say about his faith. And I'm sure he did. I'm sure he, he talked very eloquently. But his conduct showed otherwise. His conduct proved completely the opposite. And John is saying, Gaius, and he's saying to the whole congregation, and he's saying to us this morning, this is not what a Christian example looks like. This is not how we behave. This is not how we serve. 
He's telling us a godly Christian example is of someone who serves, and someone who, 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 who suffers, who gives up for the sake of the gospel, who's not interested in their own, their own comforts, but is willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And John is saying to Gaius, and he's saying to us, don't follow this bad example. He is a bad example. Quickly, as we come to an end here, in verse 12, we, we see the last character. We are introduced to Demetrius. My third point is just simply devoted Demetrius. And John turns to Gaius and he says, in verse 12, but I do have a good example for you, and it is Demetrius. And he commends Demetrius. He says, Gaius, you should consider Demetrius. Because number one, he has a good testimony amongst everybody. Because number two, he has received a, guest, uh, he has received a good testimony from the truth itself. And number three, because the apostle John testifies to his character. The very Apostle John was testifying to this man's character. So here is a man whom all the brothers and sisters, all the members of the congregation will say, yes, that man lives the gospel. He, he lives like a Christian should. His conduct is in accordance with the gospel. His belief and his behavior, it correlates, it's the same. His actions speak just as loud as his words. This is a man that you can measure by the truth. You can measure him by not just what he, he says, but also by what he does. He lives the truth. He lives the truth. He is loyal to the truth. A wonderful example. Many of you have heard of um, John Stott. He was a famous British evangelical theologian and a prolific author, written many books. He was one of the 20th century's most respected religious leaders. And Time magazine had once named him as one of the world's 100 most influential people. And he had been called, he had been called the most influential clergyman in the Church of England during the 20th century. So a very, a very high-profile person. But after his death in 2011, there were many articles written about this faithful minister of God. And one Christian author who was converted under his ministry and who, who lived with him for a number of years, he, he had this to say. He said, John Stott is what he is in public, what he is in private. He is in public what he is in private. He is the same person. And what a wonderful testimony to have. What a wonderful testimony to the, to the character of John Stott. He had integrity. He wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't say one thing in the pulpit and lived another way in his home. He was the same person. I think this is the, the greatest testimony to any Christian character. Anything that could be said about a person that, that has a public ministry. But when he's out in public, 
being a minister of the gospel, he's the same as when he is at home ministering to his family. What a wonderful testimony. It testifies to his faithfulness. John is saying this about Demetrius. John is telling Gaius to reject the bad example, reject Diotrephes. Don't follow his example. Follow Demetrius' example. He's the one that you should be mimicking. He's the one that you should be imitating. You see, Christian faith always has moral evidence. There's always evidence of our behavior. What we believe was, always comes out in how we behave. Christian faith has moral evidence. And church membership and church leaders are in our lives for a reason. God has given us these, these means of grace to give evidence of this truth which we claim to believe and speak. You know, when, when you get baptized, you go through an interview process and you give testament to your, to your faith in Jesus Christ. We don't just allow you to go through the waters. There has to be evidence of your salvation, isn't it? I mean, and isn't that what church membership is all about, isn't it? I mean, church membership is basically the church publicly recognizing you as a citizen of heaven. That's, that's what church membership is. And the church testifies to your Christ-like character. And that's what we should be doing. And John is doing that here. He's, he's bearing witness to the Christ-like character of Demetrius. He's a believer. Yes, I agree. And John is saying, if you have any questions about this man, everybody will testify to his character. Everybody will testify to his faithfulness. The truth will testify to his character. Measure him up with the Word of God. See what the Word of God says. He is believing. He is obeying. So take a moment this morning to examine your own testimony. I mean, what do people say about your testimony? Do you have a testimony of faith like this man? How does your life match up to the scripture? Does the truth of God's word match up to your testimony? Now, what would church members say about you? I mean, are you a church member? Do people recognize you and testify and publicly acknowledge that you are a citizen of heaven? Does your life bear witness to the gospel? If not, well, you need to be born again then. If people can't see Christ in you, it's probably because he's not in you. You need to be born again. If they can, then you need to be a member of the church. And so John is calling on Gaius as a godly leader on this church to, to follow the good example, to follow the good example that's been set by Diotrephes. So ask yourself today, who are you mimicking as we come to an end here? What type of example are you leaving others to follow? Is your example helping others to be more like Christ? or to be more like the world. And remember, underlying all of this is the truth that the word of God, the gospel needs to be spread. Does your role model love the gospel? Now, does he have a passion to, to spread the gospel?
Is your role model helping you to be more like Christ or more like the world? I had the opportunity to go and see a few years back William Carey's grave in, in Calcutta in India. And it's a very moving experience. I mean, on William Carey's grave is written just a few words that he wanted written on his grave. And all it says there, William Carey, born 17th of August, 1761, died on the 9th of June, 1834. And then it says... A wretched, poor, and helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. I'm sure you know who William Carey is. I just assumed you did. <laughs> I mean, he was a pioneer missionary to India who served there his whole life and died there. Translated the Bible in many different languages. Went through many troubles for the sake of the gospel. And all that is written on his grave is a wretched, poor, and helpless worm. On thy kind arms I fall. I mean, this is somebody who didn't want the preeminence. This is somebody who wanted God to get the glory from their lives. This is an example worth following, folks. I mean, what, what would people write on your grave one day? Would you be pointing people to Christ? Does your life point people to Christ? Do people see Christ in you? Are you being a Demetrius or are you being a Diotrephus? And here we have an exhortation this morning from the Apostle John telling us that we must not imitate Diotrephus, that we need to be like Demetrius. Together, as a body, we are united with Christ. And we will see Demetrius one day, and I look forward to meeting him. But while we're on this earth, we are united because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we serve each other because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a mission, we have a goal to make his name famous. To point people to our glorious Lord who has saved us from our sins. We have a purpose. Not just to consume the things of the world, folks. That is not what life is about. But to reflect the glory of God wherever we are and however he chooses to use us. So the question this morning, folks, as we leave, do people see Christ in us? Do we as a church reflect this glory? Does your life bear testimony to the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Is Christ truly your Savior? Has Christ truly saved you from your sins? Do you boast in the gospel? Do you boast in his grace? Do you live for Christ like he died for you? Unashamed? Are you unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you a faithful witness of Christ?
Does Christ get the preeminence from your life? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we, I pray that you would just take your word now and that you would help each and every single one of us to apply it for the sake of your glory, Lord. Father, I pray that you would forgive us if there has been any trace at all of a diatrophies in our hearts and our lives and, and in our church, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, where we have wanted the glory, when our own spiritual pride has fled up and, Lord, we have stood in the way of the gospel. Forgive us, Lord, for this. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us repentance this morning, Lord, that we would not be cut down and thrown into the fire, but rather, Lord, we would be used by you, that we would be a vessel unto your honor, Lord, for your glory, Lord, that our lives would matter for the sake of the gospel, that our lives would, would make sense because of the gospel, and that we would spend our lives to make your name famous. So, Lord, we pray that we would model this in our own homes, that we would be examples worth mimicking, that people would look to us one day and say, yes, I saw Jesus in him. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.